Well, so I'm a big subscriber in this idea of fire, ready, aim, right? Just get started. Just take that first step. Just go outside. You know this. Um, I think we all get stuck sitting around. Subconsciously, our legacy hardware and software is avoiding discomfort. Like it kept us from falling off cliffs and freezing out in the snow and drowning. And the sooner you recognize that that's just like old hardware that you don't need because you're not going to get attacked by a lion when you go outside or drown in the rain. And so if you can change your mindset to like embracing tough stuff and committing to it, you just have a better life. Just take that first step. And that first step leads to another step. And before you know it, you get it done. That's Joe DeSena. And this is episode 567 of the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody, what's happening? Happy holidays. Welcome to the podcast. The gift-giving season is upon us, and although I'm both sad and amazed that we are temporarily sold out of my new book, Voicing Change, we should be restocked in the next few weeks. At the same time, I happen to have just the thing for your secret Santa or stocking stuffer needs in the form of our Plant Power Meal Planner gift cards. Kind of a perfect way to help your loved ones finally and enjoyably up their recipe game and finally master cooking nutritious meals once and for all. Right now through December 25, we're offering $20 off gift card annual memberships to the digital platform, which provides access to thousands of customized and delicious plant-based recipes, access to nutrition coaches for all the hand-holding you need, and full integration with automatic grocery delivery. So everything you require to prep and cook the selected recipes, magically shows up on your loved one's doorstep. So fret not to learn more and grab your discounted gift card today. Click meal planner on the homepage menu on my website at richroll.com or go directly to meals.richroll.com. No promo code required. Okay. So those of you who've been with me for the long haul know that I like to end the year and begin the next year on a high note with some solid inspiration, some bankable life advice, and just the right amount of kicking the pants to reboot the operating system and uh, get your body, mind, and soul correct, aligned, so you can actualize the best of what you've got. Finally, convert those aspirations into reality, and uh, this year is no different because today's guest is undeniably one of the toughest humans, one of the most accomplished endurance athletes, and one of the most successful entrepreneurs that I have the good fortune of calling friend. His name is Joe DeSena, and if that name sounds familiar, it's likely because he is the mastermind behind the global Spartan race phenomenon, some might also know that he is the evil genius behind the death race. <laughs> I'll let him describe that one. But what not enough people appreciate, I think, is just what an utter machine this guy is, an absolute endurance freak who, in the period of just one week, completed the Vermont 100-mile run, the Lake Placid Ironman, and the Badwater 135 Ultra in one week. 
think about that. He also completed 50 ultras and 14 Ironman events in a single year, which is a certain kind of insanity and has to be some kind of record. And he once ran from New York City to Vermont on <laughs> basically a whim. But this hustle, his relentless pursuit to push the envelope of, of possibility isn't limited to athletics. It shows up in all areas of Joe's life, in business, beginning in high school, cleaning Mafia Don swimming pools in Queens. It shows up in academics. It took this guy four times to get into Cornell. And it shows up in service by way of this kind of beautiful open door policy that he maintains at his Vermont farm where he puts all comers, any who dare, through what can only be described as a layman's buds program. <laughs> it's kind of like a brutal routine that we talk about today, as well as this commitment that he has to leveraging his race series platform to help millions of people live healthier lives. Joe is truly an amazing human. Again, he's a friend and his extraordinary story is coming up. But first. We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested, or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. Momentous products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentus's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentus for yourself by going to livemomentous.com slash richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, 
built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in Fleetfoot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. Okay, Joe, Joe DeSena, the man, the myth, the legend, the questionable masochist. Today's conversation is, of course, about Joe's journey. It's about his insane athletic accomplishments, his passion for endurance, his unique relationship with suffering. And it's also about Joe's colorful life path, his Goodfellas-esque upbringing in Queens, New York, his natural-born entrepreneurial inclinations, the car wreck, that redirected his life and his impenetrable focus when it comes to accomplishing his dreams. But more than anything, this conversation, which I think is super relevant as we enter into the new year, is about turning quitters into people who commit. It's about why doing hard things makes you better, happier, and healthier. And it's about catalyzing radical transformation. This, my friends, is a no BS zone. Joe's message is 100% experience-based and paired with the many practical tools I think you'll find fundamental in helping you shatter stagnation 
and beat analysis paralysis. My hope is that his words propel you to craft your own challenge for this impending new year, something extraordinary perhaps, and more than anything, I hope you dive headfirst into it, or as Joe says, fire, aim, ready. So it is with that that I give you the one, the only, Joe DeSena. Right on, man. So good to see you. We've been trying to make this happen for so long. Been it's taken forever, man. I don't know how many, it's gotta be three or four years. A couple of years. I think yeah. the last time I saw you, I did your show when you guys were hosting an event at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, I think I like a last minute, hey, Rich, can yeah, you come yeah, over yeah, to the yeah. stadium? And yeah. I, we, we caught you, we did some foot, <laughs> we did some filming and, and we knocked out a uh, podcast. Right, yeah. we did a podcast and then I did a little shooting with you for that documentary Cal, with Cal, Cal Fussman. Fussman. Yeah. What happened to that it's documentary? Done, it's done. Is it? And um, off the editing room floor, however you'd say it, and getting ready to be pushed out. Uh-huh. So, yeah. What's it called? What the fuck is your exit strategy? Uh-huh. And, and the idea is, um, and it probably pisses, I know it pisses you off. What are people thinking when they don't eat healthy, when they don't act healthy? Mm-hmm. And so like, what should, like we talk about exit strategy in business, what's your exit strategy from the planet? Like, are, do you plan on living in a hospital for the last 20 years? Like, and, and that title came about because Cal, a mutual friend of ours, Cal Fussman, famous writer, uh, invited me to breakfast with Larry King one day. And so I'm sitting right. there and I'm eating At a salad. At Nate sa- Nels? Yeah, uh-huh. so I'm, I'm, I'm having a salad and Larry is pouring, I mean, pouring sugar all over this bowl of cereal. And he's like, ah, kid, what are you doing with the salad? Uh-huh. And he goes, I eat like this, I got a colonic every day. And and I just thought, fuck, like what's the exit strategy <laughs> this guy? <laughs> so. And it came from there. So is Cal like the protagonist? Mm-hmm. Is he the, he's who we're like taking this adventure with? Yeah, we took the adventure with him and he was impossible to deal with. Uh-huh. Um, and, and unbeknownst to me, you know, 20 years earlier, he did it, maybe 30 years earlier, he did it with um, Jack LaLanne. Mm. And I think Cal's really good for an article or for film, but then go, like most people, falls off the wagon when, right. when there's no reason to be taking care of yourself. Uh-huh. I just remember him being, sort of obstinate in the interview, yes. like pushing back. And it's like, come on, man, what do you, what do you, you know, get on board here. I, listen, I fought my in-laws when I met my wife. I, my mother, by the way, my mother in the seventies was into yoga, meditation, all the stuff right. we were into. And she fought the whole world. And so there were no Whole Foods or yoga journals back then. So I watched uh, the pushback and, and it's, I mean, it's pretty, maybe not in California, but the right. pushback is massive everywhere to this idea of just take care of yourself. Yeah. I mean, look, look at look at COVID in the US versus everywhere else. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, I mean, it's gotta be brutal right now Fucking for you disaster. with Spartan. Disaster. Like how are you keeping this thing from capsizing? Mm. You know, when it first happened, I became friends uh, last uh, two years ago skiing with the owner of Saks Fifth Avenue. He owns a uh, Hudson Bay company, which is the equivalent of Saks in Canada, uh, Saks Fifth Avenue incredibly successful guy. And when it was all going down, I was with Gerard Butler, check this out. I was with Mm. Gerard Butler. I was in Sparta, Greece for the 2,500 year anniversary of Thermopylae. The movie was based Mm -hmm. on the the battle at Thermopylae and Trump closes the border. And at that moment it became very real because up till then we had closed a few races in China. I closed a few races in Japan, but it was like no big deal. This thing would be over in 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 a jiffy. And I'm in Sparta and the country gets shut down and I call my friend from Saks and I'm like, what the fuck? And he says, um, he goes, you gotta preserve cash. He goes, yeah. you gotta preserve cash. You gotta protect you know, the employees that you, you can 
and you gotta stay in touch with your customers. And thank God I had that phone call on March 13th, 14th, because um, because I would have just like, I mean, we had 501 people working for mm. us. I got 325 events shut down overnight right. around the world. And you, you can't keep paying people and bills and all these things and and lawyers and you know better right. than anybody, lawyers and, and, um, and not have revenue coming in. So, um, you know, I'm ashamed to say, I thought, I didn't listen to the advice of him. I didn't listen to the advice of my friends that run hedge funds. I thought, come July 1, we're back. Right. The world is back. Well, we've never seen anything like this in our lifetimes. There was no reason to think that we wouldn't be able to get over the hump and get back to some level of normal. And I'm an optimist. I mean, our whole business is based on optimism, yeah. right? And, and uh, I just thought, yeah. Well, here we are. So did you have to lay off a bunch of people? 350 people oh, furloughed. Um, and and uh, I think we just did a few more. Mm. Um, silver lining in all this is we became a lot more efficient as an organization. There were a lot of deficits in our company that we never tended to. Technology, mm. CRM, uh, uh, e-com, go down the list, things that we just didn't have time for, put on right. 325 events. And so we're becoming much better in those areas, but it's really a race against the clock. It's, um, you know, if we're back on next year and we're allowed to put on events, it's gonna be great. Yeah. Um, but but uh, I just don't know. I mean, China, we just, we uh, two weeks ago had 10,000 kids at a Chinese event in China. China's back in business. Mm. They got vaccines, they cost $30 USD. You and I could go up to the corner store and get a shot in our arm. Um, but outside of that, yeah. So you can ramp up in China. I could ramp up in China, but but the U.S. was fifty percent of our business. Mm. Um, Europe was twenty five percent of our yeah. business, right? Go so China does not offset. Um, but it gives us hope that if China's back and they were three or four months before us and shutting down, maybe three or four months from now we'll be back. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Who knows? Who fucking it's knows? Craziness. Man. I know. It's craziness. It's so crazy. Well, what I've noticed in you just from a distance is this kind of pivot into really a media company, like a content platform. Like suddenly you're vlogging all the time and all, you know, your video suddenly there's videos from you like every single day. I know. You know? I've gone I've gone a little nuts. I apologize for uh, that. Um we locked down on the farm in Vermont. Yeah. That's where this whole thing was started. My wife and I uh, had our four children. I don't know how to say that right. <laughs> politically correct. We, she birthed four kids on the farm. I think you're allowed to say that. Yeah, in in Vermont, <laughs> along we had cows and chickens and goats, and um, that's where Spartan was started. Uh, as soon as I got back from the Thermopylae uh, thing I just described in Sparta, Greece, landed on the farm, holed up with an, an Olympic wrestler. That's another whole story. Um, a video team. Uh, a bunch of people on on the Spartan team, trainers and so forth, uh, 12, 13 of us. Uh -huh. And we just started filming every day because there was nothing else to do. Right. I Like preserve your cash, protect your employees and stay in touch with your customers. Mm. So just film, 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 because I like to work and we couldn't put on events. And so that's what yeah, we did. Yeah, you keep the brand strong and yeah. you keep people excited about what Spartan is and they hear it from you directly. 
Yeah, you know? so just lot, lots of um, filming. But as you know, it, it drains your energy levels because you, like right before we just started this podcast, anybody listening or watching, Rich and I were talking regularly. As soon as the filming started, you perked up, your chest did came I? out. Yeah, and no, you were like, I'm trying on. to be normal, man. I, <laughs> no, I want we, this we to both be as relaxed we, as possible. No, no, but we both did it. Yeah. And you don't even notice you're doing it, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. it just sucks energy out of you. Well, I just noticed like this is, I think this is the fifth podcast I've done in the last seven days. We're on a bit of a tear and it's draining, man. Like, I, you know, I don't know like how Rogan does, you know, four or five of these things a week. Right, Maybe yeah. it's cause he doesn't prepare, but like I, I prepare, like I put a lot of energy into it. Yeah. I want it to be this amazing experience. And when it's done, it's kind of like an athletic event. Then I, I go home and I crash. No and doubt, now no like, yeah, yeah, it's like, it is its own kind of endurance thing. And it does take, even though it's not physical, there's an emotional like energy toll that it takes. It'd be easier. I think you'd agree with this. It would be easier to go for a run. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. And, and your mind is working, but your body, you're yeah, breathing, yeah, yeah. And you're sweating. And, and this is- Also, the- I can control that, you know? With this, it's sort of like, you, there's an aspect of trying to, you know, have guardrails up and direct it in a certain way. But at the same time, you have to like let go and allow it to be what it wants to be. So there's a vulnerability with that. That's different from going out and pushing yourself where it's just you and you. No doubt. Yeah. And so, and so I just went through, you know, let's call it 120 days straight of filming on the farm every uh-huh. day. And um, something cool happened this weekend you might not know about is w- once we realized, hey, this is gonna go on longer than we thought, this is gonna be much more painful than we thought, we gotta lay off more people. I said, you know, we need an event. We need, we need one event, something to show our community, 7 million people that like we're still here and, and, and shit's still happening. So this past weekend, we brought uh, 12 women, 12 men from CrossFit, from triathlon, from, uh, the NFL, mm. um, Spartan, and um, we brought them all together to find out who's the fittest of them all. And we held like a, my, and my team came up with the whole thing. I can't even tell you all the names of the athletes that were there because they re- my team organized, I just wanted to have a Spartan event and they came up with this whole thing. Uh-huh. And they actually, they actually wouldn't allow me back on my own farm because I needed another COVID test. Uh-huh. <laughs> so here I was outside my own farm while this was going down, but, um, we had uh, a Highland Games type event. We had an ultra run. We had a, a triathlon swim. Mm-hmm. We had a mountain bike. We had a DECA event, which is our uh, almost gym product, if you would, a, a combination of the Aerodyne bike and the rowing machine and, and all that. We had a, um, a race to the top of the mountain and we had a Spartan race. And I don't want to give anything away, but um, you would think you would think that the specialists in each one of those areas would win their area. Mm. And I'll just leave you with this, they didn't. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. I would suspect that the person that comes out on top has a lot more to do with their mental fortitude than their physical prowess or their athletic gifts. It's so funny you say that because I was, I was thinking, and, and you correct me if I don't have this right, but I thought, all right, let's, let's measure, let's, let's set some, um, what are the items we're gonna measure, strength? Uh, speed, um, endurance, athleticism. Um, and then I said, wait, but you gotta also measure resiliency and grit, Yeah, right? Because, because some of this is gonna require resiliency and grit. And when you look at, without me giving it away, who the winners were, who the, they were the ones with the resiliency yeah, yeah. and grit. Uh-huh. Yeah, hundred percent. Right, because I don't know how long this thing. Five, went. Day, five yeah, days. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Three, that's gonna separate <laughs> right. the wheat from the chaff. Right. right. That's like a reality show. It it was so like frigging, of the network stars it was so or frigging unbelievable. Yeah. I'll tell you what we'll do. 
I'll get you some, nobody's seen any of this stuff. I'll get you some clips for this uh-huh. um, podcast. Oh, could we be, weave it in? That you could weave it in um, that no one's seen before because well, just, it's just so unbelievable. You can't even imagine what went down. It's, uh-huh. it's, a, it's a show. Yeah. That's cool. Um, well, I want to take it back. Your yep. your backstory is so epic. I mean, it's cinematic. It's like its own movie. It's just a crazy fucking story. It's a crazy story. And you're quietly like such a beast in terms of like the endurance that. stuff that you've yeah. done. Like yeah. it's insane. I feel like that gets overlooked, but let's go back to the beginning, back to Queens. Mm. So if anybody's have seen the movie, uh, Goodfellas out there, raise your hand. Most people have seen it, right? Uh, ground zero for that movie was the block I grew up on. Mm. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact address, but 84th Street, 149th Avenue in uh, Lindenwood, Queens or Howard Beach, Queens, Jamaica. And um, for whatever reason, uh, a bunch of wise guys located on this particular block and and their game, their profession was was stealing from Kennedy Airport. And uh-huh. that's what's portrayed. That's exactly what's in the movie. That's what's exactly what's in the movie. And so there wasn't a morning that went by where I didn't wake up with my sister and we'd go down into the garage and there was a new big box on a pallet of things <laughs> there. Like it could be leather ski gloves, 500 uh-huh. pairs. Uh, uh, could be Adidas um, superstar sneakers. Just you know. heisting the cargo trucks that are coming in and out. Yeah. And so it was very common to go shopping. We're, we were young, my sister and I at this point, my friends, but you'd go shopping in someone's house. It wasn't like, you didn't have to go to the store. <laughs> you went to someone's house and there was all kinds, of, uh-huh. but, but you don't know as a kid yeah. what, what this means. Anyway, we grew up in this in this crazy neighborhood. Um, my parents are getting along, everything's fine. Your dad part of that or just the neighbors? So the, the way I'll answer it is um, my dad had a trucking business in, in the airport, eventually a, a fairly large uh, warehouse and air freight business. And it was hard, <laughs> it was hard to be in that business uh-huh. un- unless- You couldn't be in that business unless you have some relationship. Yeah, you have some relationship mom, with right, it. Yeah. But I will say my dad, uh, no BS, my dad was amazing in that his thing was, if you go in that direction, you waste so much energy and so much time, like, and you can't spend the money because it's not legal. Like you'd be better off putting all that time and energy into a legitimate way, mm. a, a legitimate life. But, uh, but I'll say that like, if you grow up there and you come from that place and you're in that, it's pretty hard to not be in it. Mm-hmm. It was nobody not in it right. at, in, in that neighborhood. Right. And I'll just, I can't go deeper than that, but-, but uh-huh. um, I got it. You got it. Yeah. So, so um, and there's very few people left. Um, so anyway, my parents are getting along. My dad uh, starts making some real money and we move 15 blocks uh, uh, south of, of where we were which is a, a better area. Mm-hmm. And our neighbor is the head of the banana organized crime family, 15 blocks up. And around the corner is, 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 is the big boss um, uh, of the Gambinos. And there's four of the five family heads are living just around us yeah. in, in, in this area, 15 blocks uh, south of where I, where I first grew up. And my mom goes into, uh, her, her mom dies of cancer. My mom goes into a health food store to just explore like, is there another way to live rather than, you know, ganolis and raviolis and pizza. And she just didn't feel healthy. And she watched her her mom just die. She walks into a health food store, which is probably the only health food store on the entire East Coast at this point. 
And there's a yogi, like an 85 year old yogi that just landed at Kennedy Airport, probably from India in the store. And she starts talking to him and somehow he convinces her that she's got it all wrong and she's got to become vegan uh-huh. and she's got to start meditating and she's got to take up yoga and how to breathe and cold showers, all the stuff we talk about now. Mm. And she comes home and she throws out the sausage and peppers and like literally transforms the house, which ultimately leads to divorce. Yeah, your dad's losing his <laughs> shit with this. Everybody, we were as kids <laughs> yeah. because if you're listening to this, this sounds somewhat, nor- that, it was not, that was, no, that was not she, at all. At she that might time. as well have just landed from Mars, mm-hmm. right? That's how crazy the stuff was that she was preaching. And so they get divorced and she, moves us back um, north to that 15 blocks, right? So my sister and I are down there for about a year. My dad's at, at the other house. And then she's just not fitting in. Nobody's getting this thing that she's preaching. And she moves to Ithaca, New York, because yeah. that was like where the hippies were and they were educated. Because she's going Moosewood. She's going Moosewood, exactly. Yeah. It was, that was a big part of our life. Yeah. And, and um, I'm kicking and screaming, my sister's kicking and screaming. We don't wanna leave our friends in the neighborhood and any, any kid would feel this way. And I'm attracted as a young boy, I'm attracted just like all the other boys in town are to the, the guys with Cadillacs, the guys with suits on, the guys with rolls, $100 bills in their pocket. Like we kind of know what they're doing and who uh-huh. doesn't wanna be that? Right. right, and what is the difference between the wise guys you see in the movies, whether it's Goodfellas or The Sopranos versus like your real life experience with these guys? There's really, there's really no difference. I mean, from my perspective at that age, no one's ever asked me that. Um, they were a lot more quiet in, the, in, the, in real life, um, but a film has to give you the behind the scenes. And so I didn't, uh-huh. I, you know what I mean? I wasn't, they were a lot more quiet. They didn't have to say much. They earned respect. You kind of, you just didn't mess around, mm. right? Like you would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but very much the same. Uh, and they, the, in The Godfather and Goodfellas and A Bronx Tale, you go down, like they did a really good job. Mm. If you're they like from there, it. like yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. really captured the, the mannerisms. Um, Sopranos, not as much. I, I didn't feel it in The Sopranos, but, um, but in those other movies. And the thing you that know. you get is, this idea that that even though they're outlaws, they still have you know these rules and this code that they live by, and you know there's certain aspects of that ethic that are laudable, right? It's not all bad, right? And so as a young kid who's impressionable, you see the bling, but you also see there's a value system there that you can kind of hang your hat on. You definitely hang your hat on it. Um, things got taken care, like everybody runs into a problem in life. Uh-huh. Everybody runs into a problem. And so here, if you're sitting- the community's in, taking care of it's, they just each take, other. They, like yeah. I remember running to, to the boss next door as I got older and I'll, let me go backwards. Mom moves to Ithaca. Um, my, na- my, my dad falls on, on hard times. The 87 market crash hits. All the things he's working on are starting to fall apart a bit. And the neighbor sees this and he says, you know, and I'm probably 12 years old. And he says, come over and clean my pool Saturday. So um, that's a big deal, you know, getting yeah. tapped on the shoulder and the right. boss wants me to come over and clean the pool. So I, I go over and clean the pool and, and uh, he says, sits me down and he gives me three lessons that day. And he says, um, look, if you're gonna be here at 8 a.m., you show up 7.45, on time is late. Mm. I think I'm at Stanford. You think I'm at Stanford, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. He says, <laughs> um, an MBA. <laughs> yeah. If 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 you're gonna clean the pool, I want you to clean uh, the lawn furniture, the shed, the windows, whatever it takes. Make yourself invaluable. All right, that seems fair. Mm. And three, never ask for money. You'll get paid if you do a good job. Don't have your hand out. And unbeknownst to me, at that moment in time, he's grooming. He's seeing. 
here's a hardworking young kid, right? Right. And then he gives me another customer, you know, two houses over who happens to be connected to him. And then I got another boss's house. And before you know it, I've got uh, 700 customers. Right. Um, I pay for my own college. How, how old are you at this point? Well, I started at 12. Uh, by the time I graduate college, I'm 20, 700 customers. It's a, it's a multi-million dollar business at that point. And it's all these guys. That's crazy. It's all, I could walk in anybody's house. Uh-huh. And so I'm feeling, this is great. Right. Like everybody trusts and me. you're taken care of. I'm taken care if of. you get in trouble. So that was my point. So, so my dad is telling me, and he's right, stay away from that life. Um, but you find yourself, even if you, even if you um, push back on that life, make fun of that, let's say that's ridiculous, those guys are terrible. You find yourself in a situation where like somebody owes you money or you did whatever it may be. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden it comes okay to ring their bell, uh-huh. right? And say, hey, I, I, I need a favor. Right. And then you're in it. <laughs> once once they do that favor for you, you're though, in it. That's and and technically yeah. because he got me in the business, like I mean, uh, I couldn't say no to anything. Right, right. But once you did, you call upon those guys to do some favors for you, and then did you find it difficult to then extricate yourself from the whole thing? Well, so yes, I I asked for favors often because people owed me money. Uh huh. And um, I remember saying to Joe once, a guy owed me sixty thousand dollars, and he said, um, "Bring this bottle of champagne." over to his house and just let him know it came from me. And so I, I go over to the house. I don't ask for the money. I just uh-huh. say, hey, Joe, Joe asked me to drop this off for you. And he literally goes over to the wall, takes a painting down, opens a safe like in a movie, grabs 60,000 in cash and hands it to me. <laughs> there wasn't even, oh we didn't even, I didn't God. even add, it was, right. it was, it was and, and there were a few incidences like that. Uh-huh. Now, now to the second part of the question, did you find yourself beholden? I guess I got lucky in the sense that Giuliani uh, came to be. Mm. And then one by one, all these guys, Start bad for my apart. business, they right. all started to go to jail. And, and so I, I, didn't, I didn't have a long tail and right. like it was good. Right, 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 right. I didn't know it at the time. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast, dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, waking up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash 
Rich Roll. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. So where does Cornell come into the whole thing? So like kind of in the middle of the pool business, right? Yeah, so I'm running this business. I'm feeling great. It's growing. I buy a backhoe and a bobcat and I got a building and and like like it's a real business, yeah. right? And um, my mom's living in Ithaca. So I have to spend a lot of time in Ithaca. My, that's where I live. And I'm going back and forth, running the business by my dad's house, going back to mom. And I'm leaving high school in Ithaca going back to run my business, no intention of going to college. I didn't have like most families where they bring you on a college tour. It was no, mm -hmm. even though I lived in Ethical where Cornell was low, I, no one told me anything mm -hmm. about right. school and my grades weren't that good. And my friend says to me, hey, why don't we go to uh, Cornell? And I'm, I'm, I'm two months from graduating high school. Yeah. And I said, well, how, how would we go to Cornell? And he said, my dad's a professor, he'll get us in. And that made perfect sense to me because I grew up in the neighborhood where you'd have a guy uh -huh. and he would get you into a restaurant right. or whatever. So this is like, yeah, we get us in college. Yeah. So um, we both get dressed up, we do our interviews, we do everything we're supposed to do. It's gonna be a shoe in and neither of us get accepted. And now I, now I was intrigued like, oh, 
we have a guy uh-huh. and we can't get in. And I, you know, now I'm intrigued in, in this thing. And tell me I can't now. Can't, I gotta now, do it. Now where, gotta, where does that come from? Because that's that's just born and bred into you. It's probably a neighborhood thing. Like like when we let's go back to your conversation about resiliency and grit and those athletes. In this neighborhood, these guys went to jail. They got killed, um, and and that was just part of the job, right? Uh-huh. And then if, if and then if you were running a somewhat legal business, you owned a local pizza place or a trucking company, or whatever. Um, you, you hustled, you were up at 5 a.m., yeah. the diesel trucks were running, the pizza place was second generation, third generation, they were making, pe- you know what I mean? Like everybody just just hustled. So um, probably comes from that. It probably comes from just seeing this like, you know, fuck that, I'm gonna get this done uh-huh. kind of, like there's no, right. there's no no, right? right? Right, so you um, get the no. We get the no and I'm debating, now I wanna go and I'm debating going back to run my business. And my friend says, listen, my dad just said, we can go extramural. We could take three classes each. When everybody else gets matriculated into Cornell, we could take three classes each. They'll do five. We're not official, but if we do well, they have to let us in. Mm-hmm. Logical. So I said, okay, you know what we'll do then? I said, when I go back to Queens to run my business this summer, I'll go to St. John's. It's in my route anyway, and all the pools I clean and the work yeah. I do, I'll stop in St. John's, I'll take a couple of classes, I'll learn how to study. And, uh, and, then, and then when I'm going to Cornell, if, if we get in, I'll have gotten my five classes done. I won't be behind the other uh-huh. kids. My friend says to me, that's ridiculous. If we're, gonna, if we're gonna hustle in September at Cornell, why don't we go to Vegas all summer and party? Right. Right? And that was a divergence right there. And that was a real big lesson for me on like delaying gratification. So he heads to Vegas, I head to St. John's, I run my business. We both meet up in September. We do our three classes. We do very, very well. I get two A's and a B. And for me, at an Ivy League school, two A's, I, yeah. I never got two yeah, A's yeah, and a B yeah. ever. And uh, reapply. And Definitely getting in now. They don't accept us. Right. And, and now I'm even more invested. I, I did my classes at St. John's. I just studied my ass off and they didn't accept me. And the woman, the admissions woman says to me, listen, we'd have everybody and, and their brother, you know, trying to get in here if this was allowed, you're gonna have to go to another school. And then after three years at like Ithaca College or somewhere mm-hmm. else, then, mm-hmm. then apply. And I was like, maybe you didn't hear me. I'm go- you know, I wanna go here, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. So I'm gonna do it again. And then she's gotta let me in. And so he diverts, my friend taps you, out. Did you he go ha- back to Vegas? He goes back to Vegas, he yeah. goes to UNLV and I, I go back, um, do another semester, do well, reapply, they don't accept me. Do another semester, I do well, don't accept me. My fourth semester, um, I'm broken. I finally uh, uh-huh. hit my limit. My this business- is, this, is, this is your own death race. Yeah, it's my own death race. And, and, and um, I'm just feeling like my business is doing well. I got all these, like, I don't need this. Right. I don't need the headache. And I tell my mom, you know, I'm gonna pack it in. And she was probably bragging for four semesters. Her son was going to Cornell, even though I technically was not uh-huh. a, a, a Cornell student. And she says, go meet my uh, yoga. I t- she teaches yoga, my mom, at this point in, in the living room. And she says, go meet my yoga student, uh, Professor Anita Racine. Um, she might be able to help you, I don't know. Uh-huh. And my mom was the last person I would have asked like for a connection because she was crunchy and bohemian. Mm. And my dad would have had the contacts. So anyway, out of respect to my mom, I go meet, Professor uh, Anita Racine, she sits me down, looks at my grades, asks me a bunch of questions. She says, you know, I run a department within one of the schools at Cornell 
uh, textiles. We study textiles. Mm -hmm. And there's 92 women in the department. There's no men. Um, do you like textiles? I was like, I love textiles. I didn't even know, <laughs> I didn't even know what a textile uh -huh. was, right? Like I'm yeah. in. And so uh, she finally accepts me in and I end up spending the rest of my time at Cornell studying um, textiles, which if I had to do it again, I would do because I, I could watch any movie from any era and tell you based on hemlines, what what uh what time it, you know when That's that amazing. was yeah when that happened what years were were you at Cornell then I uh, entered in eighty six graduated in ninety uh huh so you left right before I got there because I went to law school at Cornell okay yeah. the law school is beautiful so I was there ninety two to ninety four. Nice. So you were out there. But right, and you got in legitimately. You didn't need the pull strings. Uh, I was, no, I, well, legitimately sort of. I was the last person admitted to the law school class off the wait list. Okay. So I showed up like, I didn't think I was going to law school. I got in at the last minute. I was living in New York City and packed a bag and tried to figure out where Ithaca was and showed up and everybody had been studying all summer. And I was like, I, what am I even doing here? Cause I'd already decided I wasn't gonna go. And it was like a very spontaneous decision. But And, and you liked there. it when you arrived? I mean, I liked being, I was getting out of control in New York. Right. So I liked being in a structured environment and I liked school and the law school it's kind of like the shining there though, because it's so fucking cold yeah. and you're all in this one building. And a lot of the one L's live in a dorm that's attached to the law school. So they know, never go outside. Yeah. Uh, so it gets a little weird and incestuous, but I basically just spent most of my time at Ruloff's <laughs> drinking I, I, most um, of the time. I, I uh, bar backed at Ruloff's. Oh, you did? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was there like four nights a week. I was gone by the time you got yeah. there, but I, but I, I think I made sixteen dollars a week. Right. When I, when I and that's tough when you're making money, you then. know, like yeah. mid six figures or whatever you're making in the pool business. Exactly. But it was it was good for me to uh, it was a way for me to mingle and meet right. other people while I was I like to work. Obviously, you're hearing uh -huh. that in my in my story. Um, and rather than wasting time just drinking, I, I uh, which is the way I looked at it. Uh -huh. I was I was around it while I was working and getting paid. Mm. So I could have used you in my orbit <laughs> back then, man. I needed a little discipline at the time. Um, cool, so then you get, you get out of Cornell, but then it's back to the pool business. So um, first of all, anybody listening that doesn't know Cornell and correct me if I'm wrong, Rich, but the law school to me feels most like Cambridge or Harry Potter, uh -huh. at least from the outside, it has that look, yeah. right? Um, so I'm about to graduate on time, which was unbelievable because I was so far behind from those uh, four semesters. And I take Professor Ben Daniels class at the um, Graduate Management School, mm. the MBA program. Right, you did a combined, yeah, like you get well, I didn't MBA. do the combined, I, they didn't accept me for the combined, it was mm. just, I clearly was not smart enough for this uh -huh. whole thing, but but I was allowed to take a class there. A lot of people took the entrepreneurship class at that school. And as part of it, we all came up with a business plan and we presented that business plan to a, a panel of judges and I won. I won the 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 the, the uh, $5,000 award that came from the owners of Reuniti Wines. Um, they were awarding at, uh, every uh -huh. semester $5,000 to the best idea, best presentation. And the judge, one of the judges was an Italian guy. And uh, being from the neighborhood I'm from, I clicked with him and, and I bought him a bottle of Sambuca. I brought it over his house and we got to know each other. I didn't buy <laughs> the winning slot, by the way. I just got to know him. <laughs> I got to okay. know him. And, and um, he said, what are you doing when you graduate? And I well, said- Well, first of all, what was the idea that allowed you to win? So do you remember at Cornell and many colleges, they had champion 
branded sweatshirts with the silk letters sewn on the front, uh-huh. Cornell, sure. or, um, and they were $50 or $40. And I just thought the way those uh, sweatshirts were made were, were the, people would buy the champion sweatshirts, the stores at Cornell or any would buy the sweatshirts and then they'd have a couple of seamstresses because mm-hmm. I was studying textiles, would sew those letters on. And I just thought I could make them in Asia. I could make them for each school. Um, I would change the uh, wristbands. I'd add a little bit of Lycra uh, so they didn't blow out because uh-huh. everybody would roll up their yeah, sleeves. You'd wear those things a couple times and they were done. They, they would blow yeah. out. And, and so I had this idea for a better cut sweatshirt that was cut and sewn in Asia, labeled in Asia, and um, they liked the idea. Uh-huh. So they gave me $5,000 to do it. It's amazing you didn't go into becoming some huge garmento. I should have. Yeah. I should have in retrospect. But, but um, so... He says to me, what are you doing when you graduate? I say, I'm going back to the neighborhood. I got this business. He says, you're an idiot. I said, what do you mean? He said, you have a work ethic. I can see it. You can talk. You should go to Wall Street. And I didn't really know much about Wall Street. I just knew the 87 crash. And um, I just decided that, uh, you know, I want to run my business. Gotti uh-huh. was becoming a, a really big name uh, back then. And I was plugged into that, that whole thing. Yeah. And he stayed in touch with me. So I went back to the neighborhood. I run my business, kept building it up. And he stayed in touch with me. He called me. This guy called me every month on the month. Have you sold your business yet? Have you gone to Wall Street? No, Al, stop calling me. Uh-huh. Right? Every month for like 35 months. Wow. Okay. And, um, and finally he convinces me. He calls me one day and he says, hey, I'm going to give you a stock tip. If you're not going to listen to me, I'm going to give you a stock tip. And I had never bought a stock before. I was busy running my business. And he says, um, I want you to buy this stock, Syntex. So it's probably like 90, 1993, 94. I want you to buy this stock, Syntex. Again, I don't, I don't have an account. I don't know anything about uh-huh. it. That day, I'm going to pick up money from a pharmacist. One of my customers is a pharmacist. He owns a pharmacy. And he must know about this pharmaceutical, Syntex. Ring his bell, I'm going to pick up my check. And I said, hey, my buddy just told me to buy this stock, mm. Syntex. He goes, I can't believe you're bringing that up. I said, what do you mean? He says, I was just taking a shower. I was thinking I'm gonna buy some today. And he brings me in the house and he hands me my check. He owes me a lot of money. And we had done more than- Yeah, it was like 140 grand or 140 something like grand. that, right? Yeah. Because, because then we were not just doing swimming pools. We were uh, rebuilding houses, doing patio work, et cetera. And um, he sits me down, he calls up his broker and he says, hey, you should, you should, um, you should buy 10,000 shares of this thing, $14 share, 140 grand. And I, you know, I'm a pretty, I'm, he goes, you're single. If, if, if you don't, you know, you're making a lot of money right now. If you, if you lose it, it's no big deal when you're married and you've got children. So anyway, he talks me into it. I buy 10,000 shares. Next day, the company gets taken over. I made $100,000 and I was like, I'm going to Wall Street. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> this, is, this is a hell of a lot better right. than cleaning swimming pools and having to chase my money and bring bottles of champagne to get yeah. the safe to open. and. So anyway, that was it. I sold my business to my employees. They still run it today. They're multimillionaires. They're great guys and uh, went to Wall Street. Wow. And had to take a serious pay cut Mm. initially, right? Big pay cut. I went down to uh, 35 grand a year and and then thought I was a genius and started trading stocks and and options and, and lost most of the money I had accumulated up until then but then dug myself out and figured it out and ended up building a business and uh-huh. started my own firm uh, where we, we uh, executed orders, believe it or not, for the, the JP Morgan's, the Morgan Stanley's, Goldman Sachs, uh, Bank America's, they were our customers. Everybody says, why? 
why would the big banks give business to a pool guy? Like, and um, I just learned in the neighborhood how to service customers, how to mm. do a good job, a better mm. job than whoever they were using. The people skills. I had good people skills. We hustled if we had to take a loss on a trade, kind of like clean the windows and clean the shed, even though you're only getting paid to clean the pool. Yeah. Don't ask for money. If we had to lose money, we lost money. Just. And then there was one secret weapon I had, which, which nobody had. My neighbor who ended up going to jail had a table at a restaurant in, um, in, in Harlem called uh, Rayos, R-A-O-S. You see the, the, the sauce in a lot of stores. Yeah, I've seen that. It's um, from that restaurant. It's from that restaurant. Mm. And it, it, that restaurant only has uh, 10 tables. It's been around since like the 20s. You can't get a table at Rayos. Uh, Denzel Washington's uh-huh. in there, the head of New York Stock Exchange is in there, a couple of wise guys. You cannot get a table at Rayos. I had a table uh-huh. because my neighbor went to jail. And, they, and so that definitely helped um, my right. Wall Street business right. because I was able to bring potential clients to, uh-huh. to Rayos. And that's, yeah, that's how and we so how, And so where does the endurance impulse start to enter? You got this like guy in your building, right? Who's running stairs and shit. Like, are, are you just gaining weight and feeling lazy or where does it begin? Yeah, well, well, go way back. My mom introduces me to, like she's running marathon. She introduced me to this transcendence run in Queens. I don't know oh, if you yeah, know yeah, it, that yeah. 3100 mile. Yeah, yeah, I had uh, Sanjay Rawal on the podcast who made a movie about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, we invested in that movie because, because oh, yeah, yeah. We, we gave money to that movie simply because of that connection to my mom. Uh-huh. So anyway, she introduces me to that race. If you're listening, it's 3100. So was she a devotee of, uh, of the That guy? was one of her gurus. Right. Yeah, Sai mm-hmm. Baba was another guru. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, for those listening, there's a, there's a race in Queens, New York uh, called the Transcendence Run. It's, it's one mile loop, 3,100 times, takes 50 to 60 days to complete it. And uh, about eight people every year attempt right, it. Right. And, and so anyway, she introduced me to that, probably Ironman, I'm seeing on TV, uh, marathons. But you weren't uh, an athlete in high school. Not an athlete, uh, I, I, bicycle, I BMX'd. Uh-huh. Uh, that is not considered an athlete by any means. But I was a crazy person on, on a BMX bike. Like I would, I would bike tens of miles on this, uh-huh. and it's hard to do that with one gear yeah. and a, a little bike. So um, that was the only that was the only skill I had, if if, if you could even call that a skill. So fast forward, um, I'm, when I was running the business, I'm mixing cement, I'm laying brick. We are working physically every day, so I've got that kind of endurance, and it feels good. Um, now I'm on Wall Street. And I'm sitting at a desk and we're doing two or three dinners a night and I'm getting heavy and I'm feeling terrible. And I still don't want any part of yoga or any of that crunchy stuff my mom talked about. But one day the elevator is broken in the building and I gotta go up to the 30 something floor. And so I'm taking the stairs and I'm huffing and puffing and there's a guy as fit as uh, Rich Roll sitting here, right? Not like, nearly as fit as you, my Get friend. out of here, he's, Rich is ripped and, and, and he's carrying two dumbbells and he's going up the stairs and uh, his name's Mike, if I remember correctly, and we're talking in the stairwell and I'm intrigued. This guy, like, he's literally a cover of men's health type guy, right? Uh-huh. And, and he's got a shirt off and, and, we're, and we got time to talk because we're going up all these stairs and he's carrying the dumbbells and I'm, I'm more out of breath than he is. And he says, meet me in the stairs. Every day we'll start training. And so that was the beginning. I, I started training in the stairs. He introduced me to an adventure race. I'd never heard of an adventure race, mm-hmm. um, which was a three hour race where we kayaked, we biked, uh, kayaked, biked and ran, loved it. Felt like I was mixing cement again and laying bricks and doing construction work. And I was just like 
went nuts. Right. Went nuts. Like, uh, where's the next one? Where's the harder one? Give me the hardest race in the world. And I just chased races for, and it was my way of eliminating some of the stress I had on the trading desk and Uh all that insanity. And so I don't, I don't know, from like 98, 97, 98 to like 2005, I just went nuts. I mean, you were on this ridiculous tear where you were flying somewhere every weekend Mm. to do something bananas. There couldn't have been that much training during the week in between with the work schedule that you're holding down. So the training and the racing become one thing. But I mean, in that period of time, I mean, it's, I, I don't know if there's anybody else on the planet who participated in more insane races no, than I you went, did. I went absolutely nuts. And, and, and I call it the Spartan paradox. And, and maybe you found this as well, that the training, like you got to embrace the training, right? It's the journey that matters, but like training sucks. Like the actual uh-huh. race is kind of cool, right? And, and I found that as long as I had a date on the calendar, I always had, a, I never fell out of shape. Right. Kind of like, you know, a boxer gets a date on the calendar. He knows he's got a fight. You're and just he starts accountable. Training. Yeah, and the so clock, I just, the clock's ticking. selfishly, I was like, if I just keep racing, mm. I, I'll just always be in shape. Right. <laughs> and I just never, I never have to train. But you took it to such an insane level. I mean, there's that one, there was like a one, like four day, five day period. You did the Vermont 100, 100 mile run. Then you get on a plane and you fly to Vegas and drive to Badwater and you do Badwater for, and Badwater's a race we talk about all the time on the podcast. Then you go to a wedding and then you go to Lake Placid and do the Ironman in what, like four days? You did your research, yeah. Five days or something like that? The hardest part of that whole week was the wedding. My feet did not fit (laughs) in the shoes. How do you go from (laughs) running the Vermont 100 to running Badwater? I mean, the hardest, I mean, I I paced Dean Karnazes at that race and it just, it almost killed me just trying to support that guy. Yeah, it was hot. It was 137 degrees the day we did it. (sighs) It was was hot. My shoes melted, my shirt melted. And um, I don't know. I, I, you know, there's something amazing about the human body. The body gets more efficient. Uh You would think like everybody talks to me about, well, you got to recover or whatever. And I don't know if if this was the 1700s, 1800s, uh-huh. you and I would not like, we wouldn't stop on a mountain with our horse and carriage and say, it's recovery day today. Right. <laughs> like, you know, you just keep right. going. And, and the human body just gets stronger or it dies. And so I just found for me, just get stronger. Like, like my, my fastest time, that 100 mile run in Vermont, fly to Vegas, go to Badwater, my fastest time in that 235 miles was the last 13 miles of, uh, up to Mount Whitney. Like mm. that, I was flying. So, so- That climb is brutal. I, I ran that whole thing like a lunatic. I probably passed eight people. And just because your body gets more efficient. I, I'm no, I'm no uh-huh. special athlete. All I did was BMX as a kid. I didn't, what the hell am I, you know? Yeah. So, so um, The best part is how you finished the marathon in Lake Placid though. Yeah, yeah. Well, what happened was um, I'm feeling great in the swim. We get, you know, we get there. I sit in an ice How tub. are you feeling great? <laughs> I'm feeling great in the swim, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, cold water and uh, I'm crushing it. I get on the bike, I'm feeling pretty damn good on the bike. And I'm like, you know what? This is gonna be great. And within three or four miles on the run, mm. I was dead. I was smoked. And, and uh, I asked a couple of kids, I said, hey, on the side, do you have any aspirin, Advil? They said, no, we got beer and I don't drink. Give me uh-huh. a beer. <laughs> and I drank one beer, two beer. So I, I basically got drunk. I was eating hamburgers. I right. I couldn't consume enough during yeah. that during that marathon. Yeah. 
But you got that done, man. Got done. That is yeah. so impressive. Yeah. And then you've gone on, you did Furnace Creek. You did this crazy like 350 mile thing in Quebec in the winter I biked, time. I biked from Vermont to the Furnace Creek start line. Get out. Yeah, that was a 14 day bike ride. Oh my God. <laughs> that was your training. <laughs> that was my training for that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I just, I went nuts. I went nuts, I whatever, whatever. It was a year where you did 50 ultras and 14 Ironmans. Iron That's yeah. gotta be a record. I was in a, what happened, the reason that happened is I was in a bad car accident and um, I was thrown out the window at 85 miles an hour. My leg was ripped out of my hip. So um, I'm laying in bed and the doctor's saying, you're not gonna be able to walk again. You're, you know, crutches, a wheelchair. And I just kept going to different doctors till I got a doctor that said you'd be fine. Uh-huh. And um, Lisa Smith, I don't know if you know her, she had gotten me into some of this stuff. So she called to say, how, you know, how are you? I heard you got in a car accident. I said, look, it doesn't look like I'll be doing these adventure races anymore or whatever. Mm -hmm. She said, why don't we do Ironmans? And I, I, maybe I had done one Ironman at that point and, or maybe two. And, and she said, well, just do every Ironman there is. It's like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was, I was, you know, I was just out of the hospital. Right. My leg had been ripped out of my hip. And a lot of times when you're hurt, though you, you see those athletes come back stronger, right? Mm -hmm. And so that, mm -hmm. it just gave me something to look forward to. And I just, I went nuts that year. It ended, that year ended because my wife was uh, eight and a half months pregnant with our first child. I was at an Ironman. I had just like barely came in walking on the marathon. I was just exhausted as you can imagine from doing yeah. all those things. And she said, are we gonna have a family or are you just gonna keep doing races? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, at some point, you know, it's like, what are you running from? You know, you, a lot of this is so uh, nourishing because it's, it's connecting you with yourself and your potential. And there's so much to be learned about, you know, you know, what we're capable of, right? But you can also hide behind it. Like you can run from your life by just being in too many events all the time. I, I was, um, I had never been married before, so I didn't, you know, and I'm, right. I'm, I was learning, navigating that. But for me, although you, you might have better insight into me listening to me, for me, it was more about like, I was so stressed out in business that whenever I got to a place where I was like just wanting water, food and shelter, it was so nice. Mm. And I just liked getting there. Mm -hmm. Just like, as long as I fall asleep in my soup at dinner, I'm happy. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, or, of course. Like right. that's what it's all about. I mean, what do you think, like, what is it that that, what is that experience for somebody who's never been in that position before teach you? I guess for me, I, I needed to meet myself, right? I needed to find out who I am. Am I tough enough? Um, and I, and I, I liken it to if I had a Ferrari in the garage and I just looked at it and I polished it and you know, showed photos of it versus I took it out on the track and I raced it up against the, you know, however you race a, a race car, uh -huh. um, you get to see how it handles. And so I was just, I guess, learning to see how, how do I handle, right. <laughs> how do I do? Um, right. And you get humble, you get, I, I don't know about you, but I, I gained integrity during all those, those crazy adventures because um, I liken that to like a structural engineer that checks the integrity of the parts and pieces before he puts the building together. Mm -hmm. Like I was, I was testing the integrity of my parts mm -hmm. and pieces. And, and I think when you've suffered like that, like you've suffered, like I've suffered, um, it knocks the edges off. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when I meet a really tough wrestler or a Navy SEAL or Delta Force operator and they've got a somewhat soft handshake, 
they're that wave for that reason. They've been through some tough shit. Mm-hmm. They don't need to mm. squeeze your, does that make sense or? Yeah, I get that. I mean, I think when I think of you to like extend the car analogy, like your RPMs are running so hot all the time because when you get back from that race, you're in Wall Street. So you're oh, burning right. it yeah. in a different way. So there's no like recuperation. Like it's amazing I, you didn't just completely flame out. Yeah, I had I had zero recovery. But the other thing, the, <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is, I mean, I remember flying to like, you'd be able to look this up if my memory's off, but I remember flying once to like South Africa to knock out an Ironman, literally land mm. on a Friday afternoon, put my bike together, wake up in the morning, do the Ironman at the finish line, take at the finish line, take my bike apart, put it in a box and leave. Um, and then get back to New York, work however many days I had in New York, three days, and then fly back to like Western Australia. It's right. <laughs> like, like, like crazy. <laughs> what but are I, people in the office thinking? Well, it cost me. It cost me yeah. a lot, right? Because then the boss, if the boss you is can't always- can't be fully present. I wasn't present, yeah. but but- that's the negative. The negative was I was showing my people that I wasn't really interested, right? So that was mm. bad for business. But but what was good for business was that became my brand. Mm. Everybody else's brand on Wall Street was like drinking and partying. My brand, which didn't exist, you know, at this time in, in the in the early two thousands, late nineties, was um, I'm the adventure guy that takes his customers to do yoga, right? And and on run, nobody was doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? We climb stairs for fun. Yeah. We don't we don't go drinking. Yeah, yeah. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media.
What's so unique about you, and I'm sure looking back, you know, hindsight's 2020, but you're this weird amalgam of street hustler with this kind of blue collar, you know, aesthetic, uh, and also like the Wall Street pedigree, but you also have the yoga hippie thing going on at the same time. And all of these things fuse to create this unique individual, like nobody else could be you or do what you do without all of those elements like kind of congealing. Yeah, and what, and what I think about a lot is, because um, we have four children now uh, from 14 down to eight years old, how do you make your, there was a great saying in ancient Sparta, like they need to be better than us. Our children need to be better than us. And so how do you make, how do I make my kids better than me? And they don't have the yoga crunchy mom and the mm. neighborhood and the wise guy next door. And you know they have a house where it's so organized uh, for them that it's almost like it's a negative. Yeah. You know? So that's so, the problem with, you know, becoming successful. Yeah, it's like not good for the kids in some ways. Yeah, but you know? you're running this crazy boot camp up in Vermont with all these people. Yeah, yeah coming so through I mean the, the kids time. could carry rocks, mm -hmm. right? And the kids the kids could climb ropes and they but but they don't have a wise guy next door that's you right. know figure you know a little street wisdom. Yeah. And so I need I need to figure that out. They're learning Latin. <laughs> How old are they now? I've got a, a eight-year-old girl, a 12-year-old girl, a 13-year-old boy, 14-year-old boy. Mm. Yeah, I've got two daughters, uh, 16 and 13, two older boys. None of them are interested in any of this stuff. Oh, really? And I can't get them interested. And it's and that's fine. Like yeah. they don't. Ha I don't need them to be. But I find myself thinking like Wouldn't they'd probably be, awesome. be better off, but I, I don't wanna be the guy who's forcing them to do something that they really just are not wired to do. Well, so I forced it uh -huh. and I continue to force it yeah. every single day. And my theory, and we will find out if I completely fuck this up, but my theory is um, they, gain, they hate it, they hate it, they hate it. And then all of a sudden they score a goal at a soccer game and they see they're more fit than their mm. peer. And then they hear from, hey, you're in pretty good shape, the coach said, right? Like, and then maybe it starts to stick. It clicks. Yeah. And, and I think I'm seeing that happen, but I might be seeing what I wanna see. Mm. Um, so, but I force it. I force it every day. And I've been forcing it since my oldest was four years yeah. old. Yeah, yeah. So, well, let's let's take it to you. So you, basically at some point you, you know, rip the parachute ripcord and you're out in New York and you decide to move to Vermont and it's gonna be retirement. Yeah, so I've got a picture of a red barn on the trading desk, uh, probably because in Ithaca, when I was a kid, I saw some red barn in a field. I mean, Ithaca is pretty idyllic, uh -huh. it's pretty nice. And that's what I'm visualizing the country to be. And um, I meet my wife and I'm like, I wanna find uh, a place like that. I, wanna, I don't wanna be around the craziness I grew up in. I wanna get away from all these crazy people on Wall Street and, and we're gonna find the farm. And so we find this farm in Vermont. Vermont was not in our plan. And the mistake I made was I associated and this is like a JV mistake. I associated country, like Ithaca was country with like, but there's academics in Ithaca, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a university there. You run into professors, like it's a little more developed that like anywhere in the country would be like that, but uh -huh. it's not. Yeah. And so we, we found a farm in Pittsfield, Vermont, a tiny little town, 400 residents, eight miles from Killington, Vermont, the East Coast largest ski resort. And 
you know, there's not a university there. <laughs> and right. so there's a lot of negatives. There's some positives mm -hmm. to, to not a big crowd, you know, but it's very hard to make a living there. And so we bought this farm. My wife was willing to move up. Uh, we got cows and chickens and goats. And uh, I started putting on races. I put trails on the side of the mountain. I mean, we did unbelievable stuff. Um, but it's hard to convince people, even though it's only a gas tank away from New York, it's hard to convince people yeah. to come up to Vermont. But it ultimately led to me putting on a, a race we call the death race. Right, right. So let's talk about this, cause this is crazy. And it yeah. still exists, right? Still exists. And what happened was I was in Lake Placid Ironman one year. I don't know when it was. It was pouring rain like, like you read about. I mean, uh -huh. crazy rain. And for whatever reason, I think I had just gotten done with the eco challenge in, in Fiji where it rained like nonstop. I was at some race where it rained nonstop for 10 days, uh -huh. nonstop. And this is not gonna make sense. I'm gonna sound like I'm bullshitting, but like I did that Ironman, it rained. I didn't even feel, I did mm. not even notice it was raining. I had just left, you know, 12 days straight, whatever it was of rain. And I saw a bunch of top athletes, men and women quit that race yeah. in the middle of it. Was that like 2008 or 2009? I remember there was one year where it rained it was like just crazy. It was craziness. Yeah. It had to be before that because death race started before mm. that. So I, um, I said, this is ridiculous. The name of the race is Ironman. Doesn't say like Ironman, except if it's raining. Right. Right. <laughs> right? And, and I grew up with a mom who meditated uh -huh. straight for 30 days. Like, this is ridiculous. You'd quit because of the rain. So I'm looking for ways to bring people to Pittsfield, Vermont anyway, to our new farm. And I'm like, you know what? We're gonna have this race called the death race and it's gonna emulate life. And it's gonna, there's gonna be no rules. And, and it'd be like, if you get out of the swim in this race and you get to your bike and the bike seat is missing, so what? You gotta, you gotta do it without mm. bike seat, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> right? That, that's gonna be what this race is, right? Because mm -hmm. that's what a CEO right. would do. That's what a startup would do, but right? But the mind fuck goes way further with this one. The mind fuck goes way yeah. further. So first year, we, um, Doug Lewis, Olympics downhill skier shows up. The Ashley brothers, two guys from Vermont. I don't know any of these guys. Two guys from Vermont who eat barbed wire for breakfast, grew up on a badass farm where the dad made them chop wood for heat. They're whole, like just tough guys. A teacher, a female teacher, and uh, a kid I convinced from Wall Street to show up. Uh -huh. There's about eight people, just like the Transcendence Run. And they don't know when it's gonna start. They don't know what it includes, but it's like hand sawing through a log, right? Uh -huh. 12 chunks. So they're there for like three hours, hand sawing through this log, splitting that wood, crawling through a culvert. A culvert is, is a hole under the ground. This was 120 feet long that water rushes through um, that they could barely fit in putting together a wheelbarrow with Japanese directions and no tools. Right? <laughs> right. Um, but the thing is you don't tell them when it starts, how long it's gonna go for, when it's gonna end, or even what they're gonna be doing. And no idea, right? they, no idea what they were getting into. And, and the two rugged Vermonters and the Olympic downhill skier are battling for first. And the teacher is, everybody else quit. The, te the female teacher who's in dead last by like five hours. And we're trying to get her to quit because I can't manage the front of the pack 15 mm -hmm. miles away from this woman in the back. And she says, you, you'd have to kill me. Like she literally just would not quit. Uh -huh. So ultimately the skier wins and uh, the, the, the brothers come in second. And then the female comes in uh, third after the two brothers. And it just, 
the race just became this thing. The New York Times picked up a story and, and they came and filmed it and, and the world got excited. And then all of a sudden 300 competitors every year would descend mm. upon Pittsfield, Vermont. And the race got tougher and longer and crazier w with every uh, year. So every year you're throwing something new at them, right? Like it's never the same. Well, and you have like a, didn't you have like a bus where you would stand there and say, you can get on the bus and quit? Oh, you like, have no idea what I, so, <laughs> so what happened was- playing with them. What happened was the two brothers who I've since become great friends with, the two brothers from that first race, they had done lots of big races throughout their life. They had, these, these were tough guys. Uh -huh crazy races in, in the tundra, like they would have done really well in the 1700s. And they took on the persona of the death race after doing it that first year. They started to make little skull um, necklaces. Uh -huh. They got tattooed, like they were just into this. And I started to see some of the videos they were creating and they were training specifically for what we had just done that first year. And I said, I'm not gonna, they're not gonna do the same stuff the next year, I'm gonna change everything. Right. And it, broke them. It drove them crazy because they had just trained for eight or nine mm. months, whatever it was, to do exactly what right. I did. They could put a like, wheelbarrow together now. You're trying to figure out what their weaknesses are <laughs> exactly. so you can throw something at them that's just gonna derail their whole plan. Exactly. Yeah. And so every year became, what are they expecting? What are the competitors expecting versus what are we gonna throw at them? <laughs> it's, it's diabolical. It was diabolical. Yeah. And so, you know, they would roll into town, let's say on a Thursday night, getting ready for, a Friday afternoon start and they'd check into the general store and they'd have khakis on and shoes and they'd be with their family. And I'd say, race starts right now. <laughs> they, ha they haven't even signed a waiver yet. We're going right now, grab an ax and we're going. Uh -huh. and, um, and so it just became this, this mystical um, thing that still goes on today. Right. And there was a TV deal on the table at one point, right? That didn't end up panning out. Yeah, we had uh, many, many TV deals. We've had so many TV people uh, come up from the Discovery Channels, the NBCs, and invariably uh, everybody gets really nervous with that word, you know, death race. Uh -huh. um, and right. it is, it's a crazy race. Um, yeah. People have come really close to dying. And so it- um, <laughs> How ironclad is that? <laughs> is that wafer? We, we make them in the waiver, it says, we will bury you on the property. So <laughs> we might not even tell anyone. How is it, you know, it doesn't get like a lot of media though. You know, you don't hear that it much did, about it. It did get a ton of media, um, it, like 2007, 2008. Uh -huh. But then from there, Spartan was born. Right. And Spartan took over and then Tough Mudder and Spartan. Mm to go with. thing. I mean, yeah. Spartan's really born out of this idea. How do we take what's great about the death race and make it accessible for, for the average weekend warrior and then scale it and up. For, and formalize it and standardize mm -hmm. it. Like, right. like you're not gonna find wood chopping right, at right, one, right. right? It was yeah. more military based, like standardized for Spartan. But, but death race is my baby and I love torturing people. And- um, How many people show up these days? It's still about 300 people. And how many people finish? Depends on the year, what kind of mood I'm, I'm, I'm in. Uh -huh. um, and I, uh, <laughs> I like how it's up to you. <laughs> well, it's really up to me yeah. because, because um, we could go till Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we could say, all right, we only want three people finishing. So, so imagine you're four days into this, just hypothetically, Rich mm -hmm. Roll is in, four days in, you can't see straight. And there's still 12 competitors. And I say to you, all 12 of you, I say, guys, I, I'm here. We'll go as long as you want, right. but until we're down to three, it doesn't end uh -huh. and people start dropping right there. So. Right. 
It's like Hunger Games. Like it's, you're it's a, it, you're yeah. overlooking the whole thing, going, "How can I fuck with these people and improvise?" It's so as easy you to break people once once. Um, <laughs> and once, what have you learned about the people that break last? Like, what does it go back to that grit and the mental fortitude that is more important than their physical conditioning? No doubt about it. The, the, you could tell right away the big muscular guys they're out first. Uh-huh. They're out first, and it's 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 a CEO, it's a mom it, uh, that just waits everybody out. You you must get Navy SEALs and guys like that coming in. I lost a Green Beret out there once, mm. literally lost them. We had search dogs, the whole thing. We found them in the attic of one of my barns sleeping. <laughs> we had shut the whole race down uh-huh. looking for a Green Beret. We've right. had them all. We've had um, every form of military, um, you know, the MMA, all of them have come out to try right. to test themselves. But you know, a lot of them quit in the first three, four hours. Wow. Just like, this is insane. This guy's mm-hmm. nuts. Right. So Spartan race begins. I mean, you're, you're up in Vermont kind of trying to be semi-retired and instead you build this empire. Yeah. So I'm done. We're having children. And this was going to be like my time to uh, recover. We talked about recovery. Mm-hmm. And death race leads to this idea of Spartan race. And 700 people show up to that first event in Vermont. And I happened to have Discovery Channel. There's a guy from Discovery Channel at that first event. And he's seeing people cross this. It's just a three mile race. Yeah. And they're crossing the finish line. He's like, oh my God, are you seeing these transformations that take place? And I'm not really paying attention to that because I've got logistical problems. I'm the, any race organizer, you're dealing with other stuff, toilet paper. And he's like, this is unbelievable what's happening here. And that gives me the impetus to, all right, we're gonna put on a second race mm. and a third race and a fourth race. And, and then 1500 people showed up and then 3000. And then Tough Mudder came onto the scene. And so then I'm a pretty competitive guy. Then it right. was like- That's like not getting into Cornell, right? That's like I, gotta, a, yeah. I gotta bury these guys and be the best. I'm gonna win this thing. And so if they were in the US and Australia, we're going to Slovakia. We're gonna be, I'm gonna go to, you know, I'm gonna mm. go anywhere they're not. And we're gonna, we're just gonna win this war. And really that battle between Tough Mudder and Spartan, I think drove both of us, the founders, me and, and the founders of Mudder to, to really, uh, build an industry, mm-hmm. build, build a sport mm-hmm. out of this thing. Yeah, the difference from my perspective is that with Spartan, there's this you know elite aspect to it where you know you, you're 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 able to tap into a different caliber of athlete, and that allows the weekend warriors to compete alongside like these people that are like you know who become the Amelia Boons and and the like who became that, really celebrated. Yeah, and that, that, I mean that was the difference. Um, the difference was they. Tough Mudder went out and branded it. It's not a race, uh-huh. right? This is an experience, and we're actually gonna we're actually gonna laugh in the face of people wanting a medal at the finish line. We're gonna give them an orange headband, like that was their shtick. And our thing was, if I'm gonna do this, I want to make it a real sport. And honestly, it was a business mistake on my part because it was harder to build what I was building. It was easier to build. They were much mm-hmm. more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Like, right, a bunch of guys high fiving. They could skip obstacles and they could just earn a headband and drink a bunch of beer. I was asking people to like train mm-hmm. and work hard. And if you didn't do an obstacle, you had to do 30 burpees. Who the hell wants to do that? So so I was losing the battle for a long time, but because I'm such, um, I just don't quit. We ultimately won. We, yeah. yeah, we ultimately won. That is your superpower. Just you're the ever ready battery. That's just never gonna run out of energy. My team, my Spartan team says, I'm very much like um, a battery on your phone that's like, 
just out of juice, but doesn't die somehow. <laughs> <laughs> like you're, you're always at 6%. Yeah, exactly. And it just, yeah. just doesn't die. That's funny. The other thing that's cool about what you do is, I mean, it would be normal for somebody like you who's so focused on building Spartan and all the things that you're involved in to just be focused on that. But you really you really opened up your farm and you have all these people that come through. It's like this open door policy, like, hey, you wanna come here, we got a bunkhouse, stay as long as you like, but you're gonna have to do what I tell you to. So you're still doing this kind of one-on-one coaching and mentoring. And there's been some pretty extraordinary success stories that have come out of that. Yeah, we, I do it, I, you know, my wife, hates it, right? Because I'm invite one, I think I invited 3 million people to the farm once, but people don't really, uh-huh. you know, it's a little Tom Sawyer-ish, right? It's a little uh, karate kid, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was his name, Mr. Biagi? Yeah. Right? Like you come here, you paint the fence and do this and that. And people don't really wanna do it. They might not be happy with their life. They wanna lose weight, whatever it is, they're trying to clean up things and they think they wanna come. But in most cases, when they get there, they tap out. Yeah. There's a few unbelievable success stories. The Apples guy, right? The Apples guy was a, an amazing success story. Uh, truck driver, uh, 300 pounds. Uh, he probably should have been 160 pounds. I got him down to 200 pounds in 30 days. Uh, he shows up with a little wheelie suitcase. He's like, all right, you know, where's, you know, where am I staying or whatever? I'm like, up there. Uh-huh. Up where? Top of the mountain. In the rafter. Oh, the top, <laughs> top of the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> he takes the wheelie suitcase, literally climbing up the mountain with his uh-huh. thing. Took like four or five hours. Gets up there. I got him in a stone cabin. He's like, you know, where's the shower, the kitchen? There are none. Uh-huh. And a uh, big bushel of apples. All you're getting is apples. We're hiking every day. Lost a hundred pounds in 30 days. Obviously extreme, obviously easy to bounce back from that. But like, that's the deal. Like, mm-hmm. like you can't. They can't do it on their own, and and so I provide that ability to do a it. Because, structured environment and strip everything else away. Take yeah. the phone away. Take the take the the food away. And yeah, if they give me their keys and they give me their wallet, we can get them to succeed at anything they want to succeed at. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they have a plan B or a way to escape, um, I can't help them. Uh huh. Right. So the recidivism rate. You can't control. I can't control. I mean, I had two guys show up uh, two months ago, big jacked guys during COVID. I had a bunch of kids come, family friends. They sent all the kids, I put them through hell. And uh, two guys wanted to come. I said, you can come while the kids are here. I'm putting on a 14 day. Yeah, no problem. And they spoke with like military lingo. They were not military guys and they were gonna crush it. Three hours. Mm. Kids stayed 14 days. These guys made it three hours. Wow. So what do you, what's the differentiator there? They could leave. Yeah. They could leave. I mean, yeah. when, you, when you can leave, you, you take that option. And, and I learned it, you know, in this town, we didn't talk about, I rebuilt a general store that had been around from the 1800s. I rebuilt a farm that had been around from the 1800s. And I envisioned finding some entrepreneurs like I was back in the neighborhood to come run these things. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool to come run a general store, right? And, and you're not gonna have to get a mortgage and all that. It's all paid for, it's all ready for you. Turnkey, just walk in and this farm has a tractor and cows. All you gotta do is walk, you just gotta do the work. You're gonna crush it because you don't have the strains that any other entrepreneur has where you gotta borrow and uh-huh. you gotta figure out ways to make this work. I even have a place for you to live. They all quit. Mm. And, they, and they quit because- They're not invested personally they're not invested. in it. Yeah. Like when you write a check and you sell your kids and do whatever you have to do to make it, you have no choice. And so that's that's the big 
difference. You know, with the death race, they were all quitting. And then one year I said, here's what we're gonna do. If you wanna do the death race, you have to get an article written in a local newspaper that says you are doing this race and you're gonna finish. Uh-huh. <laughs> and all of, a, all of a sudden finishing rates went up. It's that easy. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's amazing. All these people that have come through the farm, all the people that you've seen compete in these Spartan races, all the athletes that you've you know run shoulder to shoulder with over the course of these races, like what what are the what are the lessons that you take away from all of these experiences that can inform the person who's at the you know at the at the starting gate of a journey like this? Well, so I'm a big subscriber in this idea of fire ready aim, right? Just get started. Just take that first step. Just go outside. You know this. Um, I think we all get stuck sitting around. Our brains are wired to avoid discomfort. And so I find, I find myself, I know every day I gotta take my cold shower and I find myself looking at my phone and I'm like, why the fuck am I looking at my, oh, I'm looking mm. at my phone because I don't wanna get in a cold shower. Mm. Subconsciously, you know, my, my, my brain is, is telling me to avoid that pain I'm about to go deal with. So just take that first step and that first step leads to another step and before you know it, you get it done. And that might be signing up for something that might be telling a friend you're gonna go do something or maybe just having a friend ring your bell in the morning or having your, your shoes uh, out next to your bed, whatever that is, just take that first step. Number two, and I'm doing this a long time. So I, I think you have to have a frame of reference that you could, you could fall back on when the going gets tough. So what do I mean by that? Like I always go to a place when the going, and I say, well, it could be worse. Like I could be in Siberia, I could be missing an arm. Uh, God forbid one of my kids could be like, I, I go through this place where it's like, it's not so bad when I refer to some other thing that could mm -hmm. be my reality. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think when you do that, you have gratitude for where you are versus resentment. And that's, a, that's important to, to understand, right? There's a lot of people that resent, like, oh, I, I should have what he has or she has or this or that. I never think that. I think like, thank God I have what I have because I don't have what they have, which is worse. Now, yeah. You know what I mean? And is it the result of all these experiences that you've like, you know, basically brought upon yourself that allows you to tap into gratitude in that way? No doubt about yeah. it. If I didn't feel the pain and suffering, I wouldn't know how bad, like as bad as it's been for me or you when we've done these, these, these races, which are really just manufactured adversity, we're still not in the, like in the Lewis and Clark expedition. <laughs> we're like, yeah, like no. you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not, not Donner it's not Pass. That, it's not that bad, yeah, yeah. right? Right. So, but you wouldn't know that if you grew up on Park Avenue, you pampered your whole life. Right. You, you wouldn't, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's probably why the MMA fighter and the Navy SEAL, that's probably why their handshake is a little softer and they're more humble because mm. they've seen hell. Mm -hmm. But with success, now you're flying around, you're managing this huge business, you're, you're trying to direct all of these races. I know for myself, you know, I'm, I'm sitting at a table having conversations with people more than I am getting out after it. Like as a result of, of the things that we're interested in, we create a certain largesse in our lives that actually makes it more difficult. Like I found myself having to exercise you know, stronger boundaries and, and challenge myself more to get out of this comfort zone that I've created for myself. Do you feel, I mean- No doubt about it. And now you got it. kids and you can't yeah. go do 14 Ironmans in a year and all of that. Like, do you miss it? And how do you, you know, stay connected with that impulse I mean, I, to be in discomfort? I feel like it would be selfish of me, uh, certainly for my mm. family, if I, if I did my, 
you know, go back to the old days and, and Saturdays were my 12 hour day. If I did that on a Saturday and I stayed away from my, my kids, um, that would be selfish. And then the other thing is I'm so fortunate. I get these emails all day, every day uh, that you wouldn't even believe that like, I'm back with my husband. I'm back with my wife. I lost 200 pounds. I left my job and started a business because of Spark. You can't even believe the mm-hmm. emails I get all day, every day. And so, yes, it'd be cool to go um, hike a mountain or do something, but like, and I get asked by all my old friends, right? We're going to climb uh, this, or we're going to do that. You want? No, I can't. Yeah, you can't I got, do it. I got a family, and right. I got a business, and we're doing great work here. So I wake up early. I wake up super early. I get my workout in. I sweat every single day. Um, I take the cold showers, um, and and I run. A, and and run you a told Rogan that you bring a. You have like a forty-four pound uh, I, kettlebell I, that you travel with. Did you bring it here? I Is did, it here? I did not bring my kettlebell <laughs> because it's get the last three flights. I don't know if it's because of COVID. Uh-huh. Maybe there, maybe there's less people working at the airlines. They're losing it. So I end up landing somewhere where the get where some like you are expecting to see it, and I got to run and go buy one locally uh-huh. quickly to. So I, I just didn't I didn't bring it. Uh-huh. Um, but and that stems from that kettlebell stems from one of the uh, people that came to the farm, Chris Davis, was six hundred and ninety six pounds, and he wanted to get down to uh, in the two hundreds, and I told him, as you lose weight, I'll carry weight. And so uh, he he got down the first hundred pounds. I, I was carrying a hundred pounds in a sandbag. Wow! And it was, as you could imagine, difficult. And it's another whole story. But I, we moved to Asia as a family right after that. And so I had this hundred pound sandbag that I was carrying because I made that commitment to him. And they confiscated it at the airport. So when I landed in Japan or Singapore, I said to my wife, can you order on Amazon? Can you get uh, a kettlebell? I don't need a hundred pound. I'll carry, just to keep it going, I'll carry mm-hmm. like a 20 pounder. It came 20 kilograms, which was you know 44 pounds or whatever. Right. So so um, that became my thing. And and for the last four or five years, I've pretty much carried it everywhere outside uh-huh. of COVID. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's gotta be a trip though, when it comes through on the baggage claim or trying to carry that thing on an oh, airplane. Oh, it, it almost took out, yeah, it almost took <laughs> out a um, one that? of those security officers once, you know, coming down the ramp. Um, I, in India, uh, they stuck it in somebody else's suitcase. Once I checked it in, I had to go open somebody else's suitcase to get it out. In, in, uh, in the Middle East, they use a, a term to mean it's up to God whether mm-hmm. or not it'll be there when I land. So it's been a, it's been a trip carrying this thing. Mm. around and, and it's become a shtick. Yeah. So how many people do Spartan pre-COVID? How many Pre, people- Pre-COVID. So I don't know if you know this, right before COVID, uh, we purchased Tough Mudder. We bought Tough Mudder. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, so wow. so pre-COVID, if you look at Spartan and Tough Mudder, we're probably 1.6, 1.7 million people around the world. Um, during COVID, we're like 20,000. <laughs> like, right. It's a yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. disaster. But- but um, but it's a, it's a big number, 45 uh-huh. countries, 325 events, the, the two, two companies combined um, and yeah. Right, and you have this mission statement though, that you're gonna impact 100 million people. Our goal is to change 100 million right. lives, gets us a free pass to heaven. And um, I'm excited about that. <laughs> so how do we scale this thing up? I mean, you've got your books, you've got the podcast, you got the documentary, you've got the races. I don't know what else, you can do to impact people at scale other than what you're already doing. Like at the same time, 
when you canvass what's going on in America and across the developed world, we're dealing with a health crisis of untold proportion. You know, obesity rates are through the roof, childhood obesity rates are through the roof, diabetes, heart disease, all of these lifestyle illnesses that are just felling millions of people unnecessarily. There's still so many people that are suffering and challenged to find their way, you know, to a healthier way of, of being. Yeah, no, I'm in the wrong business for sure. Uh, all the data. I don't is, think you're in the wrong business. Well, I'm in the right business because it's something you and I are passionate about, right? Getting people mm. off the couch and doing these things. I'm in the wrong business and that the data is going in the wrong direction. Um, more and more people are eating unhealthy. More and more people are sitting and watching Netflix, especially post COVID. It's, mm. it's gonna be even harder to get people pried off the couch. So I would say if we could snap our fingers sitting here and do anything, we would have to get to the White House and convince them uh, or the Pentagon and convince them that they have to work with us to mandate this kind of physical activity. Like, it's the only way it's gonna work if, if you wanna get to 100 million people because most people look at me and I'm sure they look at you and say like, why, the, why would I do that? Why would I do that? I'm like Netflix, mm. I can lay naked in bed like Gary Vee talks about, right? right. And, and do nothing. So, so it's a tough, it's a very tough sell outside of the, um, let's call you and I the hunter-gatherers, outside of the remaining hunter-gatherer genes that still exist, it's a tough sell. Yeah, remember when we were kids and there was the presidential physical yes, fitness thing? Yes, we need that. Does that even exist anymore? I don't, that just I don't go think by so. the way of the dodo? And it I, wasn't that big of a deal, but at least it was something. You need that. And now we have like lip service to like corporate wellness programs, which, you know, I question how effective they are. It's like getting people excited about going out and walking around for, or standing up every 10 minutes or something like that. Like, how do you have a soft enough touch that you can get that person who's never experienced anything hard to at least get interested in it, but not come at them so hard, like with your, you know, kind of super hardcore sensibility that they're intimidated and scared and never do anything. It's tough when you, that's why you need, you need programs that, that it becomes yeah. part of, uh, no, it's, it's normal, right? When my mom got into all this stuff, it wasn't normal. So she, it didn't get accepted. And so we just need to make it normal. When I, I've lived on the farm, we moved to Asia, we moved to Japan, Singapore. When did they, you do that? And why'd you do that? We did that because the business was growing fast. I needed to beat Tough Mudder. They weren't in Asia yet and the kids were still young enough to move. So I said to my wife, Let's, why don't we move? We'll go mm -hmm. Asia light, we'll live in Singapore first, easy to do. Uh, we'll, we'll land there, we'll put, start putting on Spartan and then we'll expand from Singapore. And, and what an amazing experience as a family. Yeah. So, but the reason I bring it up is because when I lived in those places, the neighbors right around us started sending their kids to me early in the morning to work out with my kids. So I can do it if I have close proximity to people. I could rope them in, give them the olive branch, lie to them a little bit about, you know, and get them to do more than they would willingly do otherwise. But, um, you know, when they're five degrees separated, as you know, it's uh -huh. hard to get them to do stuff. Yeah. Um, look at the size of people. Uh, look at the data, it's not going, you know, they'd prefer Twinkies over this. Right, so a, uh, a cabinet position in the White House for physical fitness. We just, uh, you can't say whether you like Trump or, or Biden, it doesn't really matter. You can't have a tagline that says, let's make America great again without making America fit. 
Mm-hmm. Again, you have to, you, you agree. Like, 100%. It's logical. And anybody listening to this, we have to make America fit. And it, only, it has to be a policy-driven thing. My friend ran New York City Schools uh, food program, $1.1 billion budget. He's just like you and I. He did it because he wanted, he left Goldman Sachs. He did it because he really wanted to make an impact. He left. He says, I got the potato lobby. The, I got to have mm. the French fries. I got the soda lobby. I got to have the soda. He goes, I finally, finally, I convinced, I, I was able to get wheat bread on the hamburgers, right? He goes, so I put wheat bread on the hamburgers, the bun, none of the kids will eat it. Mm. So then I, put, I got to put a wheat bottom with a white top to hide the wheat. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah, he just yeah, couldn't yeah. take it anymore. Well, you have to change the entire political system to get you know, the lobbying, you know, efforts out of there that keep, you know, everything entrenched with the shitty food because there's too much money involved right now. So it's Big impossible money. for a guy like that to come in and make any changes. I mean, look at how Michelle Obama just got shellacked I know. for just saying, maybe we should eat a little bit healthier. I know. It's it, And so it's gotta, it, somehow you gotta have a politician or a group of politicians that, that get it. Mm, you and yeah. I have to run for office. I mean, that's the I only know. way this is gonna work. Uh, how is, your mom rubbing off on you in terms of like the 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 yoga and the spirituality and the the diet like what's that look like for you I, these I days? I went crazy. I went crazy with the yoga, but it had to be hot yoga, as you could imagine. Uh-huh. I had to be sweating. I couldn't be like <laughs> sitting still and like chanting. So I went nuts with the hot yoga. Probably did a thousand classes or something. Uh, love it. H- haven't done enough of it lately. And um, on the spirituality front. I don't know. My mom used to say, look, uh, no matter what religion, you just gotta be a good person. So my thing is just be a good yeah. person. Is she around still? Gone, didn't make it. Mm. Um, and it, she died very young. Uh, mm. her, her mom had cancer, as I said, she got cancer, her sister mm. got cancer, her cousin got cancer. We lived in that neighborhood I described. Yeah. Uh, within a 15 mile radius, there was a big garbage dump and massive incidents of cancer around that oh, garbage wow. dump. Wow. So, um, Diet, um, she preached more plant-based. Uh, she introduced me to a guy named Fred Bishi. I don't know if that oh, name- Oh yeah, yeah, he's John Joseph's boy. I don't know. My I, buddy, yeah. John Joseph, New York City, hardcore Iron Man, vegan, punk rocker dude, but he he's all about Bishi. Talks yeah. about Bishi all the time. Guy's so he, like, is he still alive? He, yeah, he's still alive. He was at my like wedding. 92, 94, 90, or something 93 like that? 93 probably. He's, uh-huh. um, he's a good friend. He was texting me today. And uh, so I subscribe more to plant-based, but that doesn't mean a little bit of animal protein doesn't slip in mm-hmm. to my diet. It shouldn't, but um, but it does. But I'm, I'm mostly, I'm probably 75, 80% plant-based uh-huh. um, and I should be more. And I fight with everybody over it, including my own kids. Right, so. it's interesting because Spartan, which is sort of, a, you know, kind of a, a cousin of like the CrossFit movement. There's a there's a cross pollination. Feels like of those it should people. be feels like a raw meat. It's right? very like yeah, it's yeah. very kind of intertwined with the paleo community that's yeah. now pivoting towards this weird carnivore diet thing that yeah. is confusing. I know. <laughs> but, I know. I know. But that's kind of the the sensibility of a lot of the people that are participating in your races. And it's interesting that you're coming from a different place. Yeah, I mean, Bishi. First of all, I tested it on myself. I, I did very long distance races, right? Crazy races. Um, uh, the Iditarod by uh-huh, foot, right? right? And I would carry like carrots and olive oil with uh-huh. me and all kinds of stuff that like doesn't, they don't make any sense, but I perform best on that. And so um, I'm just not a believer. That said, 
maybe based on where you come from on the planet, maybe mm. uh, some people need need a little more mm. meat than others. I don't I don't know, mm. but but Bishi's thing is you want to outlive your competition, and if and if and if you subscribe to that. I promise you, plant based is the way to go. Yeah, Bishi was like, was he like a weightlifter or something? He was a weightlifter. He was younger. He was a weightlifter, mm. and he and he said, um, he said he was going to try a different way. He's fifty five years in right now on raw fruits and veggies. Wow, fifty five years raw, yeah, yeah. raw fruits and veggies. Yeah, what are the the big obstacles that you face for yourself now? Like, what are the things that you struggle with dealing with and overcoming? Well, my biggest obstacle is I got 20 years of my life invested in in this thing. Um, I levered up right before COVID and bought my competitor, Tough Mudder, uh, and um, my whole life is upside down right yeah. now financially. So, like, how are you? How are you maintaining your sanity? Because there's so much you can't you can't control, right? Netflix and Twinkies, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> right. What are you doing in LA? I came out to LA. I have a thing uh, tonight. Uh, this is a funny story, actually. Um, Anne ran and Atlas Shrugged, you know, the book, uh-huh. uh, Atlas Shrugged or Fountainhead. Uh, I get asked on podcasts like this, like what's one of your favorite books? And I'm like, Atlas Shrugged. So I guess there's an Ayn Rand society that reached out to me and said, oh, I know that your favorite book is Atlas Shrugged. So can you come to this thing? So uh, Laird Hamilton, Gabby Reese, um, maybe Peter Thiel, some people will be there mm-hmm. tonight. And they said, I promised pre-COVID I would be at it. So I gotta go right. to this thing. That'll be an interesting it's crowd gonna be, of it's people. Gonna, it's gonna be interesting. <laughs> yeah. How does, you know, how you look at the world and, you know, think about people and potential affect the kind of people that you hire for your business? Like when you're looking to bring somebody on uh, into your organization, like what are the qualities that stand out to you? You know, in the early days, because I just didn't have enough funding to do what we were trying to do size and scale, it would be if they had a heartbeat um, uh-huh. They were good enough to work yeah. for us, right? Because we were—I was paying like two thousand dollars a month um, for the first hundred people to make this thing work. We the expenses were just insane. I would say now, if if we really narrowed it down, a much more professional approach. It's um, you got to be a really enthusiastic person. You got to be like relentless. I don't even care if you have domain expertise or not, because you can learn that. But if you're just relentless and twenty four seven and just like not going to accept no. Um, and you're honest and you got integrity, that, that's good enough for me. Yeah. The specific skill set can be trained. I don't care about but that. But it's more about that. It's more about the disposition. It, yeah. I just, I just, um, I want, you know, that, uh, what is it, Pareto's principle, right? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I just want more of the, uh, those. I just want uh-huh. more of those 20s. Yeah. 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 So uh, we'll wrap this up um, with some thoughts for the person that feels stuck, who's inspired by what you just shared and is looking for, you know, that that little dose of inspiration to just start, to get out of that cycle of analysis paralysis that, you know, keeps you on the couch scrolling for the best pair of running shoes. You gotta sign up for something. It doesn't it could be learning a new what language. What about when we can't we can't sign up for anything right now? Uh, it could signing up for something could be as simple as saying to your friend and then screaming it from the rooftop. So you're, com- you're committed, you're on the hook. Uh, we are gonna walk six miles on Saturday. I mean, that could be the thing you sign up. It's just gotta be, it could be, we're gonna learn a new language uh, by this date, right? It's gotta be, this is what we're gonna do. And by this date, we're gonna be held accountable. Um, and then I would say, you know, we have a prayer at Spartan. We have, a, our brand has a prayer. 
and we stole it from a, a, a World War II French paratrooper who they found in the field dead. They pulled the prayer out of his pocket. And basically he was saying, look, God, everybody is asking you for the good stuff, right? They wanna get back with their spouse. They wanna get home, a warm shower, a meal. Um, you probably don't have any of that left. Mm. So I'll just ask you for the tough stuff, like the, to the, to the turmoil, the toil, uh, suffering, uh, and just promise me you'll keep it coming and you give me the strength to deal with it. So like, if you can turn your thinking around to, to more like that, like, like I might, you and I, I might text you and say, hey, Rich, I hope you have a shitty day. Uh -huh. And that's like, yeah, I don't, it's, it's yeah, a yeah. worthwhile day. Yeah. I got to fight through today, right? We don't want, <laughs> we don't want a complacent, easy day. Mm. And so if you can change your mindset to like, embracing tough stuff and committing to it, you just have a better life. And what do you think is the main obstacle that gets in people's way? Well, I think, I think subconsciously our legacy hardware and software is avoiding discomfort. Like it kept us from falling off cliffs and freezing out in the snow and drowning. And, and the sooner you recognize that that's just like old hardware that you don't need because you're yeah. not gonna get attacked by a lion when you go outside or drown in the rain, um, you gotta do this stuff. Just, look, I have a friend who runs the largest hedge fund in the world. He doesn't need to do anything, okay? He's fine. And he, his theory was no pain, no pain. Instead mm -hmm. of no pain, no gain, mm -hmm. no pain, no, why would I want any pain? Mm -hmm. And lately he's come around to my way of thinking, which is, and your way of thinking, which is, um, you know what? Uh, look, he came to Japan when I was living in Japan and they had all these five-star hotels, everything all lined up to do. And you know what I did? I took him and his family to the, the waterfall monks and, and it was freezing, it was winter time and there was ice on the mountain. The waterfall is coming down and we gotta go down to nothing, take all our clothes off, get down to basically nothing and get under that waterfall and hold these metal chains while the Japanese in their language are pulling the demons out of us. And he said that was the best part of the whole trip. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, he's not gonna forget that. That was the best part of the whole trip. It mm. wasn't the fancy hotels, the fancy, like that suffering was awesome. So just do it. Way to stick the landing. <laughs> <laughs> Powerful Joe DeSena, thank you, my friend. Uh, it's great to see you. You're awesome. Yeah, that was I'm very glad, cool. Yeah. Um, appreciate it. If you're digging on Joe, uh, pick up his book, Spartan Up, Spartan Fit, The Spartan Way. Got the Spartan Up podcast. We didn't even talk about the Spartanx leadership stuff that you got doing. leadership stuff. We got all kinds yeah. of stuff. Shoot me an email, Joe at Spartan.com. And, and if you come to the farm, just don't quit. It would suck. I mean, it would really ruin Rich's reputation if you came to the farm based on this talk with Rich uh -huh. and you were one of those ones that quit right away. Yeah, that might be me. I might show up. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna, you're just gonna push me too hard and I'm gonna be out of here and the, my whole ship's gonna sink. You're Hopefully awesome. not. All right, thanks, man. Thank you. Peace. I dig it. Chances are you do too. If that doesn't leave you motivated to get after it, I don't know what to tell you, man. Share the love with Joe himself at Real Joe DeSena on Instagram and Twitter. Check out his podcast, Spartan Up. Crack his book of the same name and uh, dive deeper into his world by perusing the show notes on the episode page at richworld.com. Finally, a reminder that we video all of our podcasts, which you can watch on youtube.com slash richroll. And we recently launched a second channel just for short clips. It would mean a ton if you would subscribe to both links in the show notes. If you'd like to support the work we do here on the program, the single most impactful thing you can do is subscribe. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. 
I love it when you share the show or your favorite episodes with friends or on social media. And you could support us on Patreon at richroll.com slash donate. Today's show was produced and engineered by Jason Camiello. The video edition was created by Blake Curtis. Graphics by Jessica Miranda. Portraits by Ali Rogers. Sponsor relationships are managed by DK David Kahn. And theme music by my boys, Tyler, Trapper, and Harry. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for the love. See you back here next week. Until then, fire, aim, ready. Peace, plants, namaste. Yeah.